Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Well, good morning again. I just want to say uh, thank you, first of all, for uh, allowing me to, to fill in for our pastor while he's on vacation. And uh, the, the cool thing this time is the last time I was able to preach for him while he was gone, uh, right before I got up to preach, my shoe fell apart. And uh, one good thing about this, I don't have new shoes, so I don't have to worry about the sole coming off. So that's a good thing. But I just think about, uh, think back about that time of how God just uses different things to sort of calm your nerves. Uh, each time I get up and preach, I can get up before students, and I say this every time, before students, I can stand before them all day long and, and, and talk to them and stuff, but it's something about adults. I don't know what it is. But this morning, uh, before the first service, uh, God reminded me. You know, he's, He said, Jason, you know, my scripture clearly states that I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind, and, and disclaim that. And uh, I did this morning, and through the first service, uh, it went well. And so I just pray that uh, I do justice to him uh, in this service, just be praying for me throughout this time. Uh, before we start, I would like to pray again uh, before we read the, uh, God's word that it would accomplish what he has set it out to do. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, as we get ready to continue our act of worship, Lord, by the reading of your word, Father, I pray that as your scripture says, it, it will set out and accomplish what you set it out to do, it would not return back to you void. And I pray that that happens, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will just challenge us, you will just examine our hearts, Father. And I pray, Lord, for someone within this congregation, Father, that does not know your Son as Lord and Savior, Father, that they will just surrender themselves to you today. And I ask us all in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I get you to open up to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning. And before we do that, the, as you see on the slide, the, uh, the title is a, a Night of Unprofitable Labor. And we're going to be talking about what happens when we decide to do things the way we want them. We go back to our formal life, and we're going to examine that today. So if you have your Bibles, we want to start with verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed a twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. 
The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for there were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared. In the final chapter of 1 Kings, relates that at Izion Geber on the Red Sea, Jehoshaphat built his ships. Long and at last his fleet was prepared because they were setting out to go on a voyage. With the sound of trumpets, the unfurling of banners, and the benediction of royalty, the anchors were lifted, the sails were set, and the fleet sailed out of Izion Geber down the Red Sea, bound for far off Ophir in quest of wealth. But the ships did not sail, and this is the reason why, because a storm arose, driving them out into the treacherous rocks and banks of the Red Sea. And because of that, when the night had passed and the morning dawned, the proud fleet that was ready to sail out and was looking forward to the, the conquest of wealth laid broken and scattered on the rocks, a tangled mass of wood and rigging. And those who had proudly sailed On the ships a day before, rested buried in the depths of the sea. The scripture simply says, They went not, for the ships were broken at Ezeongaber. And that's from 1 Kings 22, 48. And the reason I say this and give you this introduction was, many hopes and strenuous efforts find their epitaph in this saying. Too often, this is the final sentence in the story of a soul's adventure. The kills are laid, the ships constructed, the seas charted, the anchors lifted, and the sails set, but the ships did not sail. Unprofitable labor ends in utter fertility. Such was the experience of the disciples during that night of unprofitable labor on the Sea of Galilee. Unprofitable labor. We read that they went back to doing something that they were used to, went back to fishing. Miss Renee, when she was talking to the children, she was, was getting to understand, would we go out and steal fish even though we knew that we were not going to catch anything? That unprofitable labor. And there's three things I want to talk to you this morning about that brings about unprofitable labor and the things that happens when we do things ahead of what Christ wants us to do. Because you had these disciples, they had seen Jesus once after he had resurrected. And you would have thought, and I'll talk about this later, that you would have thought that they would have ran with it. They would have went and told everyone they had come in contact with, hey, Jesus is risen. He is, he is who he says he is. Come and know him. He, he will give you eternal life. But what did they do? They went back to their security blanket. The things that they, they thought was normal, back to fishing. And so with that, the first thing is unprofitable labor follows a return to our or to your former life. 
John 21, 3 through 4 speaks about this because here you have, it says, even after Peter has seen the risen Lord, he has seen him once, he seemingly was ready enough to return to a way of life that he had known before. And he says to the rest of the group, I go a fishing. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know. Literally, did he realize the influence that he had on him and the other, I mean, that, that he had on others? The influence he had, because when we return to our formal life, a return to our formal life, without us knowing it, influences others. Because Peter's impulse to resume his formal life for a night did not fail to influence others. Because what did they do? After he said, I'm going fishing, he said, the rest of them said, hey, we're going to go with you. We're going to go fish also. That influence that he had. And see, we had to realize the influence we have on others. Sometimes we don't think about that, but our choices not only impact us, but our choices impact others. And with this, others look to us for guidance, yet our influence on them may have a detrimental effect. When we return, because we're having unprofitable labor, we return back to the things we know that worked for us, but we don't realize that the things that we thought worked for us have impacts on others. Peter was a natural-born leader, and I, I I can relate to Peter because he was burly, big, and he often stuck his foot in his mouth. I, I, I'm, I do that often. I can relate to that. But here he was a, a natural-born leader that, that, that led these disciples sometimes, and he didn't realize the influence he had. And the other disciples looked to him for guidance from the day he joined them. But here he betrayed the sacred trust they had placed in him and led them to go fishing when he should have led them to go witnessing about the resurrected Lord. The things that our former life keeps us from doing. We are responsible for others whom we influence. Who was to blame for this? For this night of unprofitable toll? The obvious answer is Peter, since he had an influence on others to join him because he decided to go back to his former life. A return to your former life also results in empty hands because we read in the Scripture, what had happened? These guys were fishermen. This was their job before Christ called them. They should have known what to do. And so they set out at night. Now, I've been told by many people that fish that night's the best time to, to, to catch fish. I don't know if that's true. But they set out at night, and they went out, and all night, and then in, into the early part of the morning, they caught nothing, which I, I find that strange. I find that strange because these were fishermen. They knew what to do. They knew how to fish. But what happened? They brought in their nets and had nothing. The Scripture says, at night they caught nothing at all. As once before, the disciples labored all the night long and caught nothing because night was the best time for fishing. Fair to catch anything was disturbing to accomplished fishermen such as James, John, and Peter. And with this, sometimes we discover that a reversion to our former ways results in empty hands because the old ways no longer bring joy. Our former ways that we sometimes hang on to, that's our security blanket. It's like, hey, this is what I know. This is what is good. But we resort to it and find out that it don't always bring joy to us. That it once did. And where a Christian who returns to his old life will discover that those things that once satisfied and thrilled no longer thrill but leave hands empty and hearts remorseful. And why? is because 
God has a nobler purpose for us. And we may well discover that a reversion to our old pattern in life results in empty hands. The same way, unprofitable labor. These men went back to doing the same things that they were doing, and what happened? Their nets were empty. Why? Because God cannot grant spiritual victories to wayward Christians. You will always discover that your hands are empty and your life is meaningless whenever you revert to your former ways. And when, sometimes when you revert back to those former ways, those former sins that you've given up, find a way to creep back into your life and take back over you once again. A return to your former life makes you insensitive to the presence of Christ. When we return back to our former life, because of preoccupation with other things, you may become insensitive to the presence of Christ. The same way these men, because they went back to their former life, did not even notice Christ was standing on the, on the shore. They did not notice he was there. Why? Because they were preoccupied by the things that they were caught up in, returning back to the things that they thought what they needed to do. Their former life made them insensitive to Christ's presence. Because of this preoccupation with other things, you may become insensitive to the presence of Christ. These disciples were so busy steering their ship, lowering and lifting their nets, and arranging their gear that they not even recognized Christ as he stood there. And because of this numbing effect of sin, we may become insensitive to the presence of Christ. Few tragedies equal that moment when a man like Samson we all know the story from the Old Testament. Samson, one of the strongest men, once mighty in the Lord, awakens to the fact that his reversion to his former life left him weak and so callous that he was unaware whether his Lord's presence is near or far away. The second thing we find out about unprofitable labor, we find out that unprofitable labor finds its solution in Christ. How does unprofitable things become profitable? By looking to Christ. These men failed to notice the main thing in their life that brought joy to them and brought satisfaction. We see this in John 21, verses 5 through 6. The night was dark, the disciples downcasting their nets empty until Jesus entered the scene and spoke from the shore. They were soon to find in Jesus Christ a solution to the night of unprofitable labor. I like what he says as he calls out there in verse 21.5. Jesus called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? And he knew what the answer was. He knew they hadn't caught anything. But it was, he was trying to get their attention to realize, guys, you had, you're fishermen. And you should know what to do. But guess what? I called you to not be fishermen, but fishers of men. You have left me out of it. You've already seen, you know, trying to remind them because, I could I could imagine, you know, recalling the same story sort of coincided with when he first met them in Luke 5. And he told them to, to cast their net, and they, they brought in so much fish. But here, in the same sense, they were fishing, but they weren't fishing for men. They were just fishing back to doing the things of their formal life. And with this, Christ expresses a concern in our moments of unprofitable labor. He cares when we fail. He cares when we succeed. And in this, he was trying to tell these guys, hey, you didn't catch anything, but I still care about you. 
He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? And they said, no, they replied. Even though we might revert to our former ways and drift aimlessly upon the sea of barren labor, Christ still is concerned about this. Why? Because Christ wills that we bear much fruit. He is concerned. John 15, 8 says, it says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And because of this progress of Christ's kingdom depends on our fruitfulness. He expresses a concern, as it says in John 15, 16. You don't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. These disciples have forgotten that. And with that, he issued a command. He, Christ issues a command. Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some, which was odd to them. And why? Because most of the time they cast their nets out on the left side. And here he's telling them, look, guys, you forget. I'm commanding you. Listen to what I have to tell you. Just like in the same way, if we follow his commands, we, we do what he, he tells us to do, we become profitable in our relationship with him. We become profitable in winning others to Christ. The command of Christ may call for the unusual. There's a lot of things. I even look at the things in my life that Christ has told me to do. I was like, God, are you sure? Are you, you know, this, this is far-fetched. And then when you start doing this, like, should it be this easy? And he starts reminding me, hey, if I'm in it, shouldn't it be easy? And I'm sure many of us in here can, can think of things that God has asked us to do throughout our life that may have been unusual or challenging. The disciples' net was usually down on the left side of the ship, as I mentioned, but the command to lower it on the right side called for unusual actions. You know, after he said that, you know, throwing it on the, the right side, the disciples said, anyway, what does he know? We're the ones that are fishermen. Here's a carpenter. Shouldn't we know how to fish? But they listened. And they lowered their nets on the other side. And we, we have the miracle of them pulling up that net with all those fish. And it, claim, you know, and it states 153 large fish. And I count the other ones that was in there. It's a miracle in itself. It's a miracle that the net didn't rip. But Christ's command provides needed guidance, and we need to understand that. With all their knowledge of the sea, the disciples were in need of divine guidance. And often we are in the same way. Sometimes we get so caught up in our life that we think we have the answers, that we don't need Christ, that we can do it on our own. And we start out on that voyage, and we start doing things, and we leave him out of it. And then we later find out the end result is unprofitable. In the same way, the disciples were in need of guidance in order to fish with you know, to, to be pro- profitable with this. And we may know the sea well within ourselves. We may have the finest nets made. We may have years of experience, but still we need get divine guidance in the work of our Lord. And with that being said, when we allow him and we listen to be in control, we allow him to issue commands to us and us follow, and we realize that Christ makes possible life's greatest accomplishments. John 21 says, says that so they did. They lowered their nets, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Why? Because they listened to Christ. They followed his commands. When Christ's commands are obeyed, life's accomplishments begin to be realized. 
we must realize and notice that they did not catch the fish until they cast their net into the sea in obedience. When it was obedience to Christ and done what he told them to do, then they were able to have labor that was profitable. Accomplishments made possible by Christ surpassed our fondest expectations. These disciples were not able to draw the net full of fish into their boat. They drew it into the water to the shore. And after hours of catching nothing, the most they were hoping for was a small catch of fish because I'm sure they were hungry. You know, they just wanted something enough to say, hey, we caught something that can provide us food, and then we'll get back to the shore and cut our losses, and we'll try again, maybe another day. But to their amazement, they caught so many fish that they could not care for them in their usual manner. And this comes up to our third point. Unprofitable labor affords some worthy lessons. And we see this in John 21, verses 7 through 14. You know, what a waste it was to go through the whole night and catch nothing and not learn a lesson from it. You know, we... We read the Bible and, 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 and try to apply it to our life. And with us not trying to go through life and not realize that life has lessons to show us, we'll be stupid to not understand, hey, this didn't work this time. What, what went wrong? Or this went well. So we'll, so we'll use these tactics and we'll use these ideas to, to be successful each time. Does it... These disciples would long remember this night and profit from the lessons that it had afforded them. And so must we profit from our own personal nights of unprofitable labor. Because I'm sure if you haven't, there's going to come some time that you're going to sit out and try to do something, and it's going to fall flat on its face. I've been there many times. And most of the time it's sort of just like these disciples is where, you know what, I got this. I'm going to sit out and do this. And I'll leave out that main ingredient, which is Christ. And with this, a lesson on the, the unprofitable level, uh, labor affords some worthy lessons. Here's the first one. It says, the lesson on the watchful care of Christ may be learned from our knights of unprofitable labor. And, and verse 217 shows this. Some are more aware of the watchful care of Christ than others. And what I mean by this, John, you know, after they finally got through trying to figure out, you know, why we're not catching any fish, he looked up and noticed that's our Lord. There's, there's, there's Christ out there. And some respond more quickly than others to the watchful care of Christ. Although John was the first to recognize this, Peter was the first to respond. Often we, we recognize Christ, but often we do not respond to him. But Peter was the one to respond to him. Recognizing at once the truth of John's remark, Peter drew his outer garment about him and plunged into the sea to reach the shore and the Lord as quickly as possible. Because we have to recall, you know, Peter was still dealing with, you know, all the stuff that was going on in his mind about denying Christ three times. You know, and we could, I can stand here and talk more about the rest of this, this chapter because verses 15 on talks about that, you know, Peter being reconciled with Christ. But it, was, it came to this one, one point of this, of reaching unprofitable labor, and the same thing in our life, and when we try to do things on our own and leave Christ out of it, there's, there's repercussions. There's lessons to be learned about on the abundant blessings from God. 
And this can be learned from our nights of unprofitable labor. And John 21, 11 says this. The abundant blessings of God underscore our dependence on God. Verse 11 indicates that these men caught nothing by themselves, but they caught 153 fish with Christ's help. 153 fish. Can you imagine all those in, that's out here, of y'all that like to go fishing? You sit out in the boat one night or even on the banks, and you, know, you, you, you cast it out. And you keep bringing in, bringing in, and, and you're like, I caught 153 fish. That's amazing within itself. And there's a lesson to be learned here that they t- took in, into account. It's like, hey, you know, and God clearly states, with, with man, it's impossible. But through Christ, all things are possible. And that, that's showing it right here. The time will never come when we will be able to conquer the world without Christ. Likewise, the day will never dawn when directed by him we spend our strength for naught. The abundant blessing of God are intended not to be wasted. There were 153 fish of great size, yet the, need, the net did not break for Christ and not given these fish to be wasted. In the same way, neither does God grant blessings to us for us to waste them and allow them to squander. And with this, a lesson can be learned. A lesson on the gracious imitation of Christ to humans may be learned from our nights of unprofitable labor. And this is the most important thing here. Verses 21, I mean, uh, chapter 21, 12 through 13, it says, The sweetest words these fatigued disciples had heard since they last had seen the resurrected Lord w- was... And depending on what translation you read, come and dine. Or come and have some breakfast. Because Christ, in this, within all the stuff that them not having, wasn't able to be caught any fish, he had something for them. He cared about them. The gracious invitation of Christ to man is impartial. Jesus did not say, John, you were the first to recognize me, so you were the only one that may come. Or nor did he say, Peter, even though John recognized me, you were the first to respond and the one to come to me, so you're the only one that gets to come and eat with me. No, rather his invitation was impartially extended to all, the same way as it's extended to us today, as it states in Revelation 22, 17. Despite all our failures, despite all the things that we may do right and, and do wrong, He still wants us to come and dine. And in the same way, if you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to get yourself right. You don't have to make yourself, you know, you know, available for him. He offers that invitation out. The gracious invitation of Christ offers to meet your deepest need. See, the disciples had fasted all the night long as they lifted and lowered their heavy nets and rowed their boat. They were famished and exhausted. The most pressing need of, of the moment was for nourishment. Nourishment, and Christ offers that nourishment. And so Christ invited them to partake of the food he had prepared for them. In the same way, Christ also invites us to come and dine. John six fifty one says this, The bread of this world leaves unsatisfied the inner hunger of the soul. This is why Jesus said, I am the living bread. Which came down from heaven, if any man eat of this bread, 
he, should li- he shall live forever. We have to realize this gracious invitation of Christ to us is still extended. Christ told the parable of the man who prepared a great supper and invited many to come. He sent his servant out into the streets and lanes to invite the poor, the maimed, the lamed, and the blind. And after having all of them gathered a great number of guests, the servant said, there is still room for more. Unprofitable labor. We see the reason why it happened was they decided to leave out that main ingredient, which was Christ. And we realized that when we do that, we we come up with, with empty nets or empty hands. And we realize that the only solution that can be found is in Christ. And through that, there are some lessons learned. And sometimes it's hard. But within all that, Christ provided a way for them, the same way he provides a way for us. And the invitation is still extended. To those of us who have Christ, we may not be living solely for him. There may be things that he's revealed to us that, hey, you need to, need to change. Or better yet, he's saying, hey, you're doing things right. I want to use you to be a leader. I want you to be the one that goes and reaches others for, for me on your job or in your school or wherever you're at. And then there's others of you in here that may not even know about this relationship that I'm talking about, may not know about this Christ that died for you on the cross. But there's an invitation to you that's extended, come and dine, because there's still room for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And I, I thank you for your word, Father, that what you show in it. And I pray, Father, that it accomplishes what you've set it out to do today. It's been, been brought to us. And Lord, now the ball is in our court to, to make that decision, what we want to do with it. And Father, I pray, Lord, for everyone in this congregation, Lord, you search our hearts, Father. And I pray, Lord, that if there's something that needs to be made right with you, Lord, that we make it right with you today. That we come to this altar, Father, and not care who's in front of us or behind us or the right or left of us, Father, but we just come to you. Because that invitation is open to come and dine. I pray, Father, again, if there is someone in this congregation that has never accepted your Son as Lord and Savior, Father, that they realize that day can be today, that day of salvation for them, Father. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.